Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who sits around in his underwear, biting on a bullet and pulling out all of his hair. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Uh, Hola, Ben. I mean, pulling out all my hair doesn't take a long time. No, absolutely. Uh, So for this episode, we have a special guest. He's a referral from Tom May of the Menzingers. His most recent musical output includes the singles You and I, Raining in L.A., and Burn One with John Prine. Please welcome to the podcast, Roger Harvey. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. So premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode, I ask the all-important question, what t-shirt are you wearing? Let's start with Roger. What t-shirt are you wearing? So today I have uh, a self-tie-dyed um, shirt that I bought down in Nashville, Tennessee from a place called Carl's Corner um, when I made my last full-length record called Two Coyotes. After every session, we would go to this bar and we would close this bar down. It's down like deep south Nashville. Uh, and I got this T-shirt. And when I was looking through my T-shirts, because I, you had aforementioned that this was going to be part of it, I thought this would be a special shirt to wear. And I remember vividly going into the studio every morning with being pretty hungover because we would have like a power hour. Um, and at the time, some of the guys in the studio who chose wisely to not live like that, uh, me and the guy, <laughs> Justin Francis, that, uh, produced and engineered the record, who was my drinking partner, um, for those days, we would go in and we would, we kept talking about how they all think we're fucking crazy. Cause we go to Carl's <laughs> corner every night and then we come back and we're like killing it in the studio. I've now, uh, this kind of ties in because I did a tour over in England with Tom May, who referred me to the show. And after the tour, we decided to quit drinking. Uh, and I've now been off alcohol for about eight months. And I think back to that feeling and I was like, actually, that was, I don't know if we really did feel that good or killed it. <laughs> Uh, we are proud of what we made, but that's the shirt I'm wearing right now. The Carl's Corner in South Nashville, Tennessee. There you go. Nice. Congratulations on the sobriety. Thank you. Yeah. So, Wayne, how about you? What T-shirt are you wearing? Oh, this is probably, gosh, wow, second oldest shirt maybe in my collection. My brother went to a, a winter radio festival. Gosh, had to be like 99 uh, at Crystal Mountain it was called originally was called Board Stiff, and then I think they got sued because another festival had the same name, and they changed it to Board This. But the Offspring played there during their Americana tour, uh, and it's got like a guy like holding a gun out the, at the side of a, a car, and then on the back it says, "I'm gonna make sure I wrote this down." It says, "Stupid, dumb shit, goddamn motherfucker." in big letters on the back. I don't, I don't know exactly how that tied in to the offspring. They weren't really too, too potty mouth in their lyrics, but, uh, so there, that's the shirt I'm wearing. I felt, I felt like that was the closest I had to outlaw. There you go. All right. Well, I'm, uh, I'm wearing a shirt that I've already worn before, but I'm wearing, uh, my Menzingers tour t-shirt from hello exile. So just, uh, just saw them a couple months ago. So 
Figured that was a good tie into uh, considering that Tom May of the Menzingers was uh, was the uh, the the referral source for you, Roger. I love it. I love it. So did, did Tom tell you which record he chose to revisit? I I forget now. He did <laughs> tell me about it. It was uh, Regina, Regina Specter. Yeah. Yeah. What's your opinion of uh, Regina? I I. Don't know much. I'm not super familiar, but um, I'm a fan of everything I've heard. Cool. So how far back do you and Tom go? Tom and I met, let's see, I'm not good at like timeline with years, but I guess probably about, I'd say I probably met Tom about eight or nine years ago now. Okay. Um, I was playing in a band in Pittsburgh called White Wives, and we did one of our first shows with the Menzingers in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And since then, we've uh, we've rolled pretty deep. I actually landed in Philadelphia, where I live now, because of Tom. Um, he was moving out of a house with a friend of ours. Actually, some of the other Men- Menzingers guys lived there as well, and he was vacating moving into a different spot. And he was like, I think you should move to Philly and, and live in my room that I'm leaving. And I was like, I have no plan to move to Philly. That, that sounds kind of ridiculous. And he said, it's $250 a month. And I, I said, <laughs> Sold. all right, I guess I'm going to move to Philly. And I've been here ever since. That was about four years ago now. Okay. So, how's, how's the scene there in Philly? Philly's music community is amazing. And it's such a good time to be a part of it. It's, uh, a friend of mine said once that every flower needs a garden to grow in reference to our community here. And I, I think that uh, what Philly has is a amazing garden. And I think that that's really rare, at least in the places that I've lived and the communities that I've rolled with. I, I think it's one of the most supportive uh, kind of niche communities that I've been a part of. I think mostly because we're all so tight knit. And we all can talk to each other about this really kind of unique and weird uh, and funny lifestyle that we all take part in playing music. Yeah. You, uh, you, you touched on that you were the lead singer of White Wives. So that was a, that was a punk band. And now you've decided to go the, I guess you would call it the Americana route. I mean, were you just trying to be part of the like the two hardest genres to squeak out a living? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. Actually, the the songs that I wrote for White Wives. So before White Wives, I was living in New York, um, trying to live out some sort of fantasy of what a songwriter does when you have no idea how the world works, when you come from a really small rural place. Um and I was putting out some records at the time and uh, some of my bandmates and white wives had heard them. They actually were a lot more similar to the kind of stuff that I am recording and releasing now. But what we did with the white wives records was I took all these kind of like a lot of them were pretty like intricate finger pick songs. And with my bandmate, uh, Chris number two, we just we kind of made them. Yeah, I guess they were they're punk songs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've always, always had basically no chance here. 
Well, that's my life. <laughs> yeah, I went and listened to to, to some of the White Wives um, stuff. I really love spinning wheels. Had a very um, don't don't be offended when I say this. Had a very say anything vibe to it. And the reason why I'm saying that is we did we did an episode last year about um, say anything's about a boy, and I think Wayne and I both kind of gained a new new appreciation for that record, and so kind of had that that vibe to it cool i i'm uh i'm unfamiliar with the record oh okay i, I do appreciate huh? that uh yeah that song spinning wheels i'm uh i actually still play that song sometimes i at the at the time that we made the white wives record there were a couple songs that i really felt when i got my when chris called me and asked me if i wanted to do the band i basically had this kind of like this group of songs and I was really proud of them. Um, and I said, yeah, let's do it. And we can use these songs and spinning wheels was probably at the top, top of that list. I, uh, yeah, I appreciate you listening to that and, and appreciating it. Good tune. I'm still proud of that song. So um, who else would fall into that category of punk rockers turned Americana? So, um, you know, Chuck Reagan, I guess, would probably be in that uh, in that category. Tim Berry, which I think you you're going to do some dates with Tim would would fall in that category, right? I've been really lucky. So Tim and I release music on the same uh, record label in New Jersey. It's a small record label run by one of our mutual best friends, Kate. Okay. Uh, it's called Chunk Saw Records. And we're basically the only artist really putting stuff out on the label at, at this point. But when I, uh, I was talking with Kate, and we decided to put out my last full-length record. Part of the whole thing was that Tim was going to release a new record, High on 95 at the time. And uh, we kind of made this plan, and I got to go out and do a bunch of shows with Tim. It's been it's been amazing. Tim is, uh, I've learned so much from him and, uh, spent a lot of time on the road with him. And now, uh, we had this joke at the end of that whole thing where it was like, well, we've done it all. I guess we're not going to play together anymore. And now we're going to go back to a lot of those same places again. And, uh, it's really, it's really fun and simple with Tim, um, which is exactly the way that I like to keep music. And I guess like, as far as like building a community around myself with uh, through music and with musicians, Tim is someone that I've been really lucky and honored to be able to play with so much, but also just kind of instantly clicked instantly kind of we're like, all right, we're here for the same reason. And a lot of the shows that we do, like 
we'll ride together and, and roll around and it's just fun and simple, I guess is the best way to describe it. Very cool. Would, would we consider Brian Fallon in that category, Wayne of, I don't know. Do you consider Brian a punk rocker turned Americana? Uh, that stuff with Gaslight was pretty, was right up against it. Well, I was, I just listened to Brian's new, um, newest single and it's beautiful. It is beautiful. And I definitely think that it, it crosses genre lines and it's, it's context is, I mean, actually not to segue too quickly, but I think that when we get talking about this record, uh, I think a big takeaway for me was like context. And when it comes to genre context is like everything for, from a listener's perspective, you know? So I think that it's interesting when people come from punk, do more Americana things, do whatever. It's like some people just kind of float. And that's something that I, I love about folk music is it's more of a tradition than a, than a sound to me. It's, uh, but yeah, continue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to touch on your bio or your about me page on your website, since you, you really only talk about your, your recent stuff. And you, you also talked about kind of relearning or reacquiring your love of music. And I think that you're, you're not the first of our guests who have kind of got disillusioned at, at times of trying to make a living as a musician, but based off of the output after you've kind of reacquired that love, your, your singles that you put out last year at the end of last year, dude, they're solid. And and I'm not just pandering to the guests, man. I, uh, I have been listening to raining in LA and you and I a ton over the last couple months when we knew that we were going to have you on the, on the podcast. So, so don't forget that. And twice as high. Yeah. I totally forgot about that one. So what, what, what was the magic formula that kind of triggered that love for, for music again for you? I think a lot of it was, um, let's see, how do I, how do I condense this? Cause I could talk forever about it. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of hit a, I hit a wall when I made my last, um, record, I had kind of been following a more traditional, uh, route in music, the way is that, you know, some people believe that in music there's, there's like an X, Y leads to Z, um, kind of formula, which obviously is not true. Um, because it's so much about luck and magic and hard work and all those things. And, and many, many things, um, when it comes to exposure and outcome are out of your individual control. So I think something, a big thing that happened when I decided to release the record with my friend Kate on Chunksaw was we had shopped the record around through management to these labels and weren't really hearing back from anybody. And then it was like, I was kind of being like told that I should wait longer. And I had done that with the first record and I just didn't want to wait any longer. I just wanted to go to work. And so I decided to do that. And that led to a bunch of shows with Tim, which um, kind of, and then to be perfectly honest, I lost my manager, lost my booking agent. And I kind of had to reflect upon like, 
what it was that I was after, why I played music, which took me back to the beginning of why did I begin to play music and what am I here for? What, what am I in control of? Um, I think that was a big part of it. Kind of taking back control of everything put me in touch with like a better way of doing it. And uh, yeah, just kind of shed a lot of these kind of fictitious this is the way that music's supposed to look. This is the way that it's supposed to be. And then I landed in this place where it was really simple. And then, uh, and then it could be fun again. And once it became fun again, I wanted to do it more. And the singles were a big part of that because for me, it was, it was about saying fuck it and doing, uh, doing it the way that made sense for me right now um, as an independent artist, as opposed to trying to jockey for a position and something that I can't be a part of or was impractical for me because I don't have a label, a manager, a, a booking agent or any of these things. It's, uh, But I mean, at the end of the day, it was about the realization that the only thing that really matters and the only reason why I'm here is because I navigate life through writing songs. And I yeah. believe in the folk tradition of making music and sharing music and all these things. And a lot of these things bring me joy. And since they bring me joy, um, a lot of the things that I really loved were actually really simple and I could control. So I just started to focus more on controlling them and, less on getting upset about the things that I can't control. Cool. Well, it worked. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I got a question for you and I, so that includes Annika pile on vocals. Is is that your significant other? It is great song. Anika. Yes. Anika. Okay. All right. My, my, uh, experience with that spelling is like Annika Sorenstam, um, you know, the, 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 we had, yeah, we actually, I, uh, a friend of mine's daughter is named spelled the same and, uh, pronounced Annika. Yeah. So. Yeah. I do have to ask you about, uh, the burn one with John Prine. Um, so you did, uh, that's a Casey Musgraves cover, correct? Absolutely. So we did an episode last year about the Tree of Forgiveness record. Oh, cool. And I think we're we're both a little late. Wayne and I are both a little late to the John Prine party, but uh, we're we're on board. Well, at least we showed up. We we did show up. Render me an illegal smile. I bet that he would understand just how I feel and who I am. I ain't born to knock religion Though it's always knocking me Always running with the wrong crowd But where I wanna be I ain't good at being careful I just say what's on my mind But my idea of heaven Is to burn one with Play my life like truth or dare Not all here, but 
So did, did Casey ever properly record that song? Because I, I didn't find it on Spotify. I know there's a couple of YouTube clips out there, but... I think there is. I did come across a YouTube video that sounds like a studio recording. Um, but the way that I heard it was uh, there was a YouTube... Excuse me. A YouTube video of Casey playing it to John Prine on a cruise ship yes. and it was just like and, it, and I, that's what really drew me to the song in the first place that came up somehow and I just think the idea of the song and everything is so cool and so fitting for where I was at at the moment it's been so much fun to play and well I could just keep talking about it yeah. but I guess like <laughs> uh, context is is a big part of it that I kind of r- realized retroactively um i've talked about this a few times now in interviews but uh yeah there was like uh releasing that as the first single at the time it was just like that's that's just what we're gonna do but uh in retrospect was kind of a cool way to start the single series because it kind of gave people a lot of people that listen to my music that might know me through uh, things that aren't country music or folk music, mm-hmm. it kind of gives laid this con- contextual element to where I was, where I'm at, where I'm going, and I, I uh, well, I just love that song. So, yeah, it's great. So, so, yeah. so, so, my question to you on uh, as a as a follow up. If you had one opportunity to duet with either John Prine or Casey Musgraves, who would you choose? Who? I know that's a that's a that's a hard question. That's why I'm throwing it at you. <laughs> I think uh, I don't know. I I think I'd be really nervous to sing with Casey Musgraves because she is such a fantastic singer. She's um, a badass. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that I wouldn't, I wouldn't try, but uh, probably be a little easier to sing with John Prine, who is also a fantastic singer in his own right, but a little bit more simplistic. Yeah. Uh, I feel like if I started singing with Casey Musgraves, I would, I would like begin, and then I'd just be like, you know what, I'll just stand here, and you can just, I'll just let you sing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so so I also went back and got familiar with your previous records, uh, Two Coyotes and Twelve Houses, and uh, really, I really dig the song Two Coyotes. Uh, what's what's the story behind that song? Two Coyotes is a song about uh, specifically the. It's a love song for the U.S. Mexico border. It's about losing something that you love uh, and coming to terms that something that is seemingly so pure it could be considered illegal. Um, and it, that that's exactly what the song's about. I, it's interesting because a lot of people don't hear it that way. Um, I introduced it that way or similar to that at shows. I was just down in Texas um, playing the song, which has a different cultural connotation down there than it does up here in Pennsylvania, but, uh, yeah, it's about, I guess, um, kind of from a childlike perspective of 
the idea of love um, and the idea of the world getting involved in that in a way that is at its core unfair, but uh, more complicated than you can imagine. And when I wrote the song and recorded it, it was a really terrible, we were in a really terrible situation at the border, just like we were in the 30s or 40s when Woody Guthrie wrote the song Deportee, one of the saddest songs ever written. Um, but somehow since I've recorded that song, released that song and gone around playing that song, it has uh, been attached to a much deeper and darker and sadder connotation. Um, and I guess in some ways is for me, it made me want to sing it more and sing it louder. And uh, I think that, I guess that's what the song is about. And you wrote that song before all of the crap that's been going on at the border, correct? Yeah, it was pre pre Donald Trump. Yeah. Presidential hellscape. Yeah. We've 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 tried to stay as uh non-political on this. We every so often uh, we'll it's not easy. Yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll get off on a tangent, but yeah. Um all right. Let's see what what else did I want to ask you before we dive into the record that you chose. Oh, um, so the 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 song "Raining in L.A." I gave you praise for it, but I didn't ask you like what's what's the story behind that. If it don't make you feel better, you can always go back home. The Pennsylvania snow is buried in my bones. So come out here to get out of the cold. It's raining in LA. It's seen the sun for days. Pick me up in your new truck. Take me where we're staying. It's raining in LA. Ain't that just my luck? It's time I go back where I come from. I, I feel like if I if I'm reading between the lines of what you have in your bio and what we've just talked about, was that kind of a song about trying to make it out there and then coming back to to Pennsylvania, or what's what's kind of the story behind that song? So first, I want to say thank you for asking me about the bio i wanted to say this earlier because that was a big part of this whole thing uh i wrote that bio myself (laughs) and that was like a whole thing with uh you know we needed a new bio and the standard is you're supposed to hire somebody to write write your story and at some point i was just like this is the antithesis of everything that i'm going through so i'm just gonna write it myself so i appreciate you read it (laughs) Yeah. No man, we 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 love the we love the personal aspect. So that I, I wish more I wish more and more about me pages and bio pages just laid it out there and just said this is who we are, man. Don't we're not trying to sugarcoat this and paint uh, this wonderful picture of who we're not. Um so I I, I liked uh, it. Yeah, I, the, I, mean, I appreciate it. Came down that. to a simple question. When you ask yourself who who is going to tell my story the best? 
the answer is always the same. Uh, so the raining in LA yeah. song is, is, uh, is about what you're talking about. It's, it's more so about the, it's about feeling let down, feeling out of place, feeling like you need something different. And then, uh, quite physically manifesting that in the song as traveling to a destination where, and Los Angeles where it, the sun's always supposed to be shining and everything's good. We all know that that's, it's more complex than that, but mm -hmm. that's like the, uh, the Hollywood, uh, TV idea of it and kind of realizing once you get there that maybe everything that you need is, was closer to you than you thought. And, which is, I just think, such a big part of growing up and getting older and uh, just experiencing life, especially for someone who travels a lot and does all those things. I think at first there's this like big kind of idea that it's like you could just run forever and always be stimulated. And But I think a lot, of, to me, just like a lot with music and I think it kind of ties into the whole thing is like if I can get closer to the center of what is actually happening or what is actually there why I'm here then I don't have to I don't have to take a plane all the way across the country or I don't have to like release music and it has to look like x y leads to z or like whatever fictitious um validation that we are constantly chasing, especially in the age of the internet and all those things. So, uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's about that. Well, hopefully you can continue this path of, you know, carving out a niche for yourself in this tough genre. Um, I won't, I won't say that it's, uh, it's impossible, but it's, it's definitely tough. You know, the Jason Isbell's of the world, uh, for instance, um, you know, I don't think he, he gets the recognition that he deserves, but, um, I just saw on his Twitter, you know, a couple weeks ago that his first gold record, he posted about his first gold record and it was because he was, uh, he, he contributed to the stars born. <laughs> and that just, that just boggles my mind where I'm just like, yeah, but he's, he's got this, this great following and this niche and, that's your first gold record. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's the, uh, you definitely have to, when asking yourself, uh, why it is that you're here and why it is that you do this as a musician, if the answer has anything to do with, uh, controlled finances or anything like that, you probably have no chance. So I love music <laughs> and I've been doing it for a long time and I'd, basically do everything in my life to set up a situation where I can continue to do it and continue to yeah. seek joy in it. So I think I'm here for as long as I'm here. There you go. All right. Well, uh, one last question before we transition over to the record that you chose to revisit. So we've been asking everybody their opinion of Toto's Africa. So good or bad song. It's a great song. It's, it's All right. a, I mean, that's, Wait, what do people usually say? Uh, so I'm leading. Uh, I, 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 I like, I like Toto's Africa. 
Let me see what the updated numbers are. So I'm leading 29 to 12, and then we have one that's in a special category because he went all Ayn Rand on us. <laughs> so, so yeah. All right. So it's in the it's it's like the feel good song of our every that's right. <laughs> now, if we could just convince Wayne of that, reminds but, me of being at a wedding. You know, uh, the wedding aspect has come up multiple times when we talk about Tomas Africa. <laughs> Not surprised. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, so so tell us which record you chose to revisit for this episode. Willie Nelson's 1973 album, Shotgun Willie. All right. And originally, you had selected Willie's album, Redheaded Stranger. But uh, since that's kind of a concept record and not super favorable for our scoring system, you decided to change it up with a, another Willie record. So... um and I had I had the perfect intro for Wayne based off of the redheaded stranger lyrics. I said uh, I would have yeah. said, <laughs> "Well, you don't cross him, you don't boss him because he's wild in his sorrow." Here's Wayne Fugate. So, anyways, <laughs> that would have been perfect, but yeah, just as true. Yeah, I love I love the redheaded stranger record. I had just started going so deep in the understanding of it. And there's also been some really great uh, podcasts that have come up about it. Cause it's such a important record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's those like instrumental tracks and those kind of things that I was like, how are we going to keep this moving? And I kind of went back to shotgun Willie because shotgun Willie is actually the record that initially kind of pulled me into Willie Nelson fandom where I've, lived ever since cool yeah songs like denver and bandera would not have scored very would not have scored well (laughs) or some of those songs we just would have had to go so deep on that we might drive ourselves insane and all the listeners (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly um so what is it about willie what why is why is there not just the longevity. We'll talk about that during during our conversation. But what is what is it about Willie that there is that he is definitely categorized in the legends group of of country singers? Is it because you know everybody wants to to, to burn one with Willie just as much as they want to burn one with John Prine? I think. Uh, I guess that's what we're going to be. I was going to say I could just talk forever, but I guess that's what we're getting into. Um, (laughs) it's not just, yeah, it's, it's so much more than just the music. It's the attitude. It's for me, it was the, the clarifying, the kind of like guiding light when it came to all that, that we previously spoke about, about like, what is it that we're here for? Why are we, why do we continue to do this? And Willie Nelson was such a great role model in that because, Willie Nelson, starting with Shotgun Willie, that was kind of the beginning of Willie Nelson as we know Willie Nelson today. Mm-hmm. And I think that yeah. there's something in the human experience that looks at a moment like that or sees the vibe that he radiates. And I think it's infectious. I think that everyone wants to be able to be themselves and say fuck you to anybody that doesn't agree. <laughs> And yeah. I think that Willie, Willie Nelson embodies that. And this record particularly 
is kind of like the line in the sand. I'm going this way. And there's a bunch that, that leads into that, but yeah, I don't know. I, I heard a, someone on NPR, which is great. Um, this American life about a guy in tech in Austin, Texas, who changed his name in the Austin phone book to Willie Nelson as a prank because he uh, <laughs> called up the phone book. He moved like one of his roommates moved out or something. And he was like, I got to change the name. So they said, what name would you like it to be under? And in that like split second, he was like, wait, I can just say any name that I want. And so he said, Willie Nelson. And uh, if you haven't heard it, I'd, you should definitely go. No, I haven't. It, uh, because it's super <laughs> fascinating. Um, but I, at, I won't say anything else about it. But at one point, um, the interviewer says, I guess this gives a little context. Yeah. To the, the guy who changed his name in the phone book. How did it feel to know that you upset the kindest man in America? And referring to Willie Nelson. And I, I thought that was such an interesting kind of consensus that everyone has an idea of who Willie Nelson is. What uh, most people, I mean, in America, he's such a cultural icon and he's been around for so long. His legend and legacy just goes on and on forever um but yeah there is like an element of kindness an element of wisdom um but it was really like the moment with this record and then what led into redheaded stranger that i think really kind of signed what started what we see as willie nelson yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that answers the question. No, I think it I think it does. I mean, with with the research that I did um for for this episode. So Willie even said that this record cleared his throat. And 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 like you said, it kind of drew the line in the sand of this is the direction that I'm going. This is, you know, we've got, we've got the outlaw thing that's going to become, you know, a thing during the, the, the seventies and the eighties with, you know, with, with Willie and Merle Haggard and Waylon Jennings. The, the crazy thing to me is you guys understand that shotgun Willie is the 16th studio record by Willie. So, so the fact that you're drawing a line in the sand after you've already, you know, cut 15 records of a certain formula and now you're going to go a kind of a different direction. That's ballsy, man. It's also, you know, an example, like a great example of what we were talking about earlier about when you hit that kind of crossroads where you're just like so at odds with everything you've been trying so fucking hard and choosing to say fuck it because you literally have nothing to lose yeah <laughs> and uh, all of the the willie records i think he was 39 when he put out uh shotgun willie um which is also an interesting fact for anybody who might be listening thinking that i don't know there's this idea especially in entertainment arts um with music that like it's this young person's game and if you if you miss that chance like what's the point in playing um and yeah i think that yeah he i read a story about the specific song 
Shotgun Willie, Chris Christofferson, who many people, among especially songwriters, uh, consider one of the greatest songwriters that ever lived. Pretty sure Willie included, I've heard him say something similar to that. It told Willie Nelson that Shotgun Willie was, the song was just mind farts. And he, <laughs> his response to that was, Maybe so, but I thought of it more as clearing my throat yep. and uh, and then kind of like adapted that idea more as like, I mean, that's such a good way of putting that moment of time as like this record is Willie Nelson clearing his throat, getting ready for everything that he's about to bring to the world once he finally turns his back and says, literally, fuck the format, the X, Y leads to Z format. Um and let's see what happens when I can just be myself and do things that make sense for me. It almost sounded like you said the ex-wives equals, um, which would have been perfect for a <laughs> Willie Nelson. Yeah, that also would be appropriate. Um, and for me with my previous band. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, this record was Willie's first with Atlantic Records. He was signed to RCA prior to this, and I guess because he wasn't, he, I guess part of it was probably he didn't like the direction RCA was, was trying to take him and he decided not to release anything, um, further with, with RCA. So he became the first country act with Atlantic records. And so this was recorded in New York city in February of, of 73 released in June of 1973 the one thing that I that I took away from a couple of different articles that I read was that this record did not sell well, but it received good reviews and gave Nelson a little more um, clout with more younger audiences. So the fact that he was you know, keep in mind context of 1973 where you're being shotgun Willie, you're being a little bit of a rebel. Well, I'm sure the, the younger folk are, are keening nicely to that as opposed to, you know, the, the old farts who have been with you for 15 previous records. And let's be honest, the old farts don't buy a lot of records, right? So you go after the younger the, the the younger um, audience. I heard I heard that at one point that um, Shotgun Willie did not sell well by Atlantic standards, but in Austin, Texas alone, it sold more than some of Willie's records had sold nationally. Yeah. Um, so he developed such a such a following down there. There was a this place called the Armadillo World Headquarters that many oh, people yeah. know about, but it, it kind of was like, it was the, it's like where it all happened. There was this this dance hall down there and it was, I think, a, like a hippie hangout. And I actually tried to go there kind of recently. And where where it is is just a big, looks like some sort of office building or something. It's been completely taken down unless I was at the wrong address. But um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's so cool how grassroots the whole movement was, but it, it kind of exemplifies this thing that you can kind of never take from music. Live music is one of the last vestiges of this like 
person to person experience that we have as we move into this like digital age. And I love it for that reason. And I think that without Willie playing these songs and those shows, doing it live, doing it for that audience in that place, it never would have clicked the same way. Um, That's that moment when everybody talks about where Willie like brought together. He said, he says he had to start playing in different spots. Like he would play the hippie club, but then he would have to go play across town to play for the older folks. And that's why he started doing I think that's, I heard him say about his uh, annual picnic, he started doing that because he's like, I wanted everybody to come together in one, one place. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of Austin, so you, you guys know who the first, uh, first guest on Austin city limits was. Willie Nelson. There you go. That was a, that was an easy one. I was throwing out a softball for you guys. I, I thought, is, am I overthinking this? I didn't yeah. know that. First uh, first song ever played on Austin City Limits, Whiskey River. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, which is the way that he opens every show. Every show I've seen him, and I think it's kind of a tradition. This was a this was a good pick. I had a lot of fun listening to this. I mean. I can say Willie Nelson's been I I don't ever remember Willie Nelson not being around. Like I I was born in 69, so by the time I was watching TV and listen, you know, hearing the radio, it was yeah. always that guy with the beard and the braids and the bandana singing with literally everybody. Everybody yeah. seemed to do something with Willie Nelson. You know that do you, are you familiar uh with the record that he made called half Nelson where he took all his, uh, all the duets. Cause he was so into doing these duets with all these different people. I mean, like amazing, like the Ray Charles song and the, it's just so many full records of people. He went back to Nashville and like paid his dues going back with Ray Price and all sorts of people. But I thought, I always thought that was so funny that he made that record. And he, he's like, they were like, well, what do you want to call it? And he, he said, we'll call it half now. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so cool for me to do this because I had to go even deeper on this record. It made me fall even more in love with it. Oh yeah. I can say I, I loved seeing, uh, <clears throat> it's like a transition. I mean, the stuff that, you know, cause it actually made me listen, go and I spent a day listening to Waylon Jennings after this. Cause it just, I was it, that, that in that introduction, like you can see him transitioning. Like, and when we start talking, I mean, shotgun Willie, I think is a great way to start this record. Shotgun Willie sits around in his underwear. Biting on a bullet, pulling out all of his hair. Shotgun Willie's got all of his family there. Sheets on the family plan. A 
shotgun Willie sits around in his underwear because it 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 is so it's got it's humor but it's not over the top like Ray Stevens humor but it's underwear and guns and and it's and it's got a different sound uh, than traditional country western music at that time. It's also like one of the most fascinating songs on the record. The stories behind it and just like the the whole thing. It, it's like the it's like what what inspired it. And what you experience with it, it's so, so different. Yeah, and I, that that's that's funny that you say that because originally it wasn't it wasn't as high up. I, it, eventually, it was my favorite song, but originally I had a problem with the second verse because I didn't I didn't make any sense. And I actually yeah. just today looked up who who John T. Floor John was, T. Floor, yeah. and then when you do that, I all I could I mean. Somebody actually in on one of the websites I was said that it's that that Willie Nelson plays tribute to him in his song Shotgun Willie. When you link someone to the Ku Klux Klan, you are not paying tribute to them. Like you that no. <laughs> we we just did a we just did Pleasant Dreams with the Ramones and when you which has the KKK took my baby away. Anytime you link someone with the KKK, you are saying that this is a bad person. And I did catch something in there that he had had a deal with him where he let him in on on something that had to do with his rights to his some stuff. And then he was to play at this place like every month. And I, I don't yeah. know if what kind of what happened, but whatever happened, it was not good. It didn't go in Willie's yeah. favor because he literally said that he sold sheets for the to the Ku Klux Klan. Well, it's just like I, I couldn't get to the I still that part is so uncomfortable to listen to. Um, even like if I'm at the bar and it comes on or something, I'm, I'm just like, what do people make of this? Cause everybody just kind of, it's just so derogatory. But what I gathered was, uh, or what I came up with was basically this, this guy owned a country store. It was a dance hall and everyone played there. Hank Williams, Patsy Cline, everyone like came through there. So in that he sold sheets <laughs> and it's just, I don't know if you read something different, but what I what I've took from it was basically just the whole song is just I don't know the way that Christopherson said what it you know said what he said derogatory about it, it. It does have this kind of like flippant attitude, like it's like what the fuck is he singing about? Then he says things like you can't make a record if you ain't got nothing to say. Yeah, it's like just so profound and. I, I really think that the song itself like lays the groundwork for this this whole kind of attitude and idea and that without I think him even knowing that attitude is what Willie Nelson would become from that point on and like it's funny it's like you know it's you it like creates this idea of like a cartoon basically. Yeah. And like I say, I thought, I, I thought that was a great line as uh, if you can't make a record, if you don't have nothing to say, I thought it was completely a shot at Nashville and all the stuff that was coming out of there. And, and yeah, what I read about what little bit I could find out about John T. Floor was that he, uh, he managed uh, a, a music hall, like the majestic theater. And then he, he saw that there was a need for another one, in between wherever that one was and where he ended up building John T's country, you know, John T floors country store. 
mm-hmm. but that I don't know if Willie Nelson. The gist of it was that he went into a, a deal. He made a deal with Willie Nelson, and it ended up by I think it bound him to play there once a month. And I don't know if that became more beneficial for the one and the other one was was not happy with it. But all I can say uh, is that if you link someone to the KKK, you're not a fan of theirs, and you want to no. you want to make sure that everyone knows that they're a bad person. Yeah, that's a huge. Uh... Yeah, that's that's not a joke at that point. Yeah, you're that's not pulling any punches at that. He told the he told the world. All right, I know that we've kind of jumped into the record itself. So, um, do we have anything else to say on Shotgun Willie before we get some scores on the song? Is everyone familiar with like the whole story, the background of the and the kind of gunfight that ensued from? I guess inspired Willie to write the song because uh, he found out that his daughter had been physically abused by her then husband. Yeah. And that led into this whole thing where he, they actually had a, a, like shot it out (laughs) at the house. He came up and I guess he shot his tire out or some shit. I read a thing about um, the cops comment and they were, they were, wondering what was going on and they i think he said they didn't want to get involved in hillbilly family feuds and (laughs) things like that but uh willie i guess told him that he didn't shoot his tire he must have run over the bullet (laughs) and they just wrote it wrote that down and went on their way and just such a if you read willie nelson's uh autobiography which i highly recommend it's called it's a long story my life um just some of the stories that you hear about people like Willie and it's just like, it's a different, it's a different world that people lived in back then (laughs) for better or worse. Right. Yeah. And I, I I feel I could be remiss not to mention the horns because that's not something you hear in a country song and it, and it works perfectly in here. I mean, he's, he's got this whole, he's introducing this whole different sound. I mean, even just maybe just saying that nothing's off the table. We we yeah. we might put horns in it. You don't even know. So much soul. When I when I first heard Shotgun Willie, that was like the moment. I was just like, I I think again, it's it's the attitude. It's it's this thing that you kind of get this vibe that maybe Willie doesn't even totally understand what it is that it's putting out, but what it puts out is like you said, it's kind of like a big fuck you to where where he's been, people telling him he has to be a certain way. It's it's presenting this character that's just like, I'm going to make this record. I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. And uh, yeah, there's a whole like subsect of, it's kind of like a retroactively become a genre called country funk music. And there's a record label that I'm forgetting, but has put out two... Um, compilations called country funk uh and shotgun willie i'm pretty sure is on one of them but is such a great example of that yeah there's so much soul to it it's it's so different it's it's listening to that song and thinking about all the trials and tribulations he had with the nashville sound looking listening to this song is like they would have never let him do that and it's the greatest thing he did to to that point, I think. And yeah. he did a lot of great things, in my opinion. 
but yeah, it's such a vibe. Cool. All right. Let's get some scores. Oh, and by the way, this was a single. It only peaked at number 60. <laughs> wow. That's not really peaking. <laughs> that's not yeah. really peaking. No. <laughs> um, oh, and we, we forgot to say what our scoring is based off of. So it's based off of the number of songs. Uh, means, uh, let's see, there's 12 songs on this record. So top song is going to get 12 points. Next favorite, 11. Um, on down to number one. So what's everybody's score on Shotgun Willie, the song? I gave it a 12. But like I say, once I found out that the, cause the, the, the thing that kept it down for me was the second verse. It didn't make any sense. I couldn't figure out what he was trying to say. You know, was it everybody's got to make a living or what? And so it, once, once I that last piece clicked into place, then this whole it took a whole like you said a whole different meaning. He's got horns, he's you know he's got guns. He's you know he's funny, but he's still and he's making he's taking shots at the establishment. With it, you can't make a record if you don't have anything to say. Put it all together, and 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 it was my favorite song by the end. Yep. Yeah, I got it at twelve too. And guess what? I've got it at, I've got it as a 12 as well. So this is a second episode in a, in a row, Wayne, that uh, you and I have agreed on number one song. Wow. We're spending too much time together. And it's going to be the same, uh, the same for, uh, for our least favorite as well as we get to that. So two, two episodes in a row, man, man, we are spending way too much time together. I think. <laughs> I love that I love that you guys like that song as much as I do because like uh, I was talking with Wayne about it. it's like there's parts of it yeah like if you don't understand it you come at that song and you're just like what the hell is this fucking song kind of like what Christopherson must have felt at the time but when you really dig into it it's just so special agreed all right let's uh let's move on to the next song so this is Whiskey River Whiskey River, take my mind. Don't let her memory torture me. Whiskey River, don't run dry. You're all I've got, take care of me. We've already kind of touched on Whiskey River. Uh, it's it's the song that. Um, he uh, he starts all of his his concerts off with. What's interesting, even though this is one of the songs that everybody associates Willie with, you guys realize that this version was not released as a single and didn't chart at all. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised. I I had never heard the stu- I didn't, and I didn't realize it, but I had never heard the studio version. Before yeah. all I've ever heard is the live version, which actually affected my score because the live version that he opens every show with is so high energy. It's way better. It's, it's, yeah, it's such. Yeah. It's it's iconic and it's uh, it's you, you. I never even realized it was a cover. Um, so that that 
it took me it took me back the first time it, it came on because I I'm used to this this ramped up high energy version that you start a live show with, and yeah, I I went back and listened to Johnny Bush's, which yep. this is actually kind of brave because that was a top twenty hit for Johnny Bush just a year before this, right? And he took it, and I like this version much better than the the very traditional kind of knocking off Conway Twitty version that Johnny Bush did. Um, I prefer this, but even saying that it just doesn't compare to the, to whiskey river live. Correct. No, that's, that's the magic. I love that about Willie though, is that it's part of the, as soon as he could was allowed to be himself, get, get able, be able to like try these things. I think, he has an understanding of that stuff. That's why he starts every show with that song. He like that live record. You're talking about the William family live album, yeah, f- right? From 78. It's, yep. That record is just, we could do a whole episode on that record. That would be awesome because it's everything's so upbeat, so fast, so much energy. And it really does like capture this really important part of, of Willie Nelson. Um, yeah. The whiskey river song, like you said, I think that's really, it's really interesting and pretty bold that the year a year later he would put it onto this record. But I think that starts this conversation about how everything on this record kind of just deepens this context, um, and it's just so purely Willie. And yep, I, I gave I gave this song an eleven because. I think honestly, just because it's Whiskey River. <laughs> yeah. No, that's. What just happened? Someone's listening to my song. <laughs> was that you, Wayne? Sorry, I was trying to do something else, and it. Yeah, I gotta stop. <laughs> <laughs> A little less multitasking. Yeah. Um, it fits with the show, though. <laughs> it absolutely yeah. worked. Absolutely, that was totally outlaw. Um, <laughs> so, so just going back to the the live version. So, since I'm I'm the chart guy, I'm always looking at the chart. So, you already mentioned, you know, Johnny's version that hit number fourteen on the country chart. The live version they did release that as a single for Willie, and it charted to number twelve. So. So he didn't have didn't have a uh, didn't have a hit with the you know this slow down version off of this record, but he did have have a hit with uh, with the the live version. So, um, so Roger, you already gave us your score, Wayne. Your score. And here's what's funny about my score: if if it hadn't been, if I had never heard the live version, I think this would have, if not. I think this may have been my second favorite song. Also, if I had never heard the live version, that being said, I gave it a, I gave it a seven, but it's because I never, I, I, and as the week went along, as I was listening to it, I, you know, you hear the female harmonies and the way that the steel guitar is working with the organ and it, it has all these very kind of outlaw elements to it, but it's just at the end of the day, I, it, it was it was it was it was not the best version of its its own self, and it so it dropped down. Okay, and I gave it an eleven as well, and maybe there is a little bias because of 
I know what the other version is, but I do like this version as well. I think that there are some, some good elements to it. It's definitely longer because it is a slowed down version. It's definitely, I don't know, it's about 45 seconds longer than the, uh, than the live version. So, all right. That moves us on to the third song. This is uh, sad songs and waltzes. Sad songs and waltzes aren't selling this year. It's a good thing that I'm not a star. You don't know how lucky you are. Though my record may say it. No one will play Cause sad songs and waltzes Aren't selling this year What do you guys have to say on this particular song? I, I love this And maybe, Roger, this, uh, this song sums up the whole Americana and alt-country genres in the lines <laughs> of uh, No one's going to hear yeah, it This song, this, I just... I'm obsessed with this song because it's a song about itself, um, which makes it so interesting. Um, and it's just so, it's so everything that Willie had been through to that point and everything about what this record is. And again, it's just kind of like this, this whole thing where it's like, this is the song, this is what I wanted to write and fuck you. If you don't like it, um, there's a great quote from, I think you mentioned the signing that moment, the signing with Atlantic is the first, they like just started their country division, but uh, Jerry Wexler is the guy that was the vice president at Atlantic at the time, I think. And um, there's a great quote where he, Willie Nelson asked uh, Jerry Wexler what he thought about his songs, maybe not being that commercial or not, being very sellable and Jerry Wexler from Atlantic said, fuck commerce. You're going for art. You're going for truth. And if it wasn't for that kind of like Willie talks about it a lot, if it wasn't for him having the freedom to do that, deciding that he was going to do it and then going with that and finding people who let him do that. um, We'd never even have Willie Nelson like we have him today. Or maybe it would have taken a little bit yeah. longer, but yeah, Sad Songs and Waltzes is just, it's a beautiful song and it's, it definitely still, still stands up. Um, and yeah, it might, it might uh, really describe some of my struggle. <laughs> <laughs> and is this song, would this song be considered a waltz? I think it is, right? Yeah, I think it is. I believe yeah. so, yeah. I, I loved like this is a very well written song. This was during the I think early in early in listening to it was probably right up there as as maybe my favorite song. Um, but as I listened to the album, it it it, it got the top of the album. The the songs I the top half the six songs I really like. I really really like. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that he took like I say it's a waltz, so it's this much more traditional country melody. But then he took two. Two basically two themes to put over the top of it. One is a very, I mean, I think one is the number one theme in country music is your cheating woman, and 
anti-establishment, you know, against the rec- you know, against record labels, he combined them too. Like the, the lie, I love the line about you're lucky I'm not a star. Uh, because no one's going to hear this, you know, no one's going to hear me, you know, talk about you and your, and your cheating ways. Uh, so I, I love that he, that he took those two. I thought that was very rebel outlaw too. He takes these two contradictory, you know, these two themes that don't necessarily may not go together and laid them over the top of this very, very traditional country song. Yeah. It's like, it's like almost a revenge. I think there's this, this is a thing in country music, like a revenge song, this idea there, there's been multiple country songs about this idea of, success as a musician and writing the song that is about what the heartbreak and this is just like it's like that but then it's it's just so self-deprecating that it's basically like and i'm still (laughs) fucked because nobody's gonna listen to this fucking song yeah (laughs) regardless you're lucky i'm not a bigger star everybody know what a whore you were yeah yeah songs out there can't recall any but there's a couple songs that like late eighties, nineties country songs that are literally that song. Like now it's on the jukebox so I can, so everyone, the whole world's going to hear it. Cringe worthy. Let's get some scores on this. So uh, Wayne, what you got? I gave it an eight. And then Roger. 10. And I'm giving it a nine, which leads us to local memory. Each day I say tonight, I may escape her. I pretend I'm happy and never even frown But at night I close my eyes and pray sleep finds me But again, the local memory comes around Rids the house of all good news Then sets out my crying shoes But a faithful memory never lets me down we're both up till night of day Chasing happiness away And each night the local memory comes around And hey Wayne, get us started on this since uh, you like this a, l- a little more than Roger and I, I You know did. what? It, it created an image. The song that it reminded me of, and not that it, not that it compares in sound or anything, but uh, was it uh, Diamond Jim and... That that's uh, that song off Blood on the Tracks that we okay. did. Yeah, uh, it just creates all these this image. You know, I could just see this western town closing up because the outlaws are coming. So everybody's closing the shutters and everybody's off getting off town, and you're they're p- pushing dressers in front of the doors, and and it's you know, and there's this guy you know laying in his bed, and here comes this spectral you know you know woman that's that's this memory that that comes and haunts him every night. It just created these very vivid images and I just I I I loved it. I I think the song is well there's so many things that are so interesting about the song. Are you talking about the uh Jack of Diamonds from Blood on the Tracks? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Such a good tune. Lily and Rosemary yeah. and the Jack of Diamonds. Jack of Hearts. Yep. Yeah. Jack of Hearts. That's I'm, I'm too in the Waylon Jennings zone mindset so uh yeah so this i mean i think it's a fantastic song i think there's a couple songs on this record that are really interesting this one was released originally on a friend of mine in nashville told me once that 
they referred to Willie before when we're talking about as turtleneck Willie. When you see him and he's like really clean cut, I, I thought that was really funny. But uh, this record <laughs> that came out four years before uh, called My Own Peculiar Way, um, which was produced by Chet Atkins, which who is the generator of the Nashville sound, which this record is kind of like a rebel record against that, about how that wasn't working for him. I love that he put the local memory on this record because it's again, another like, fuck you. It didn't work on that record and it didn't work when you told me what to do, but I'm going to do it in context of this and now it's going to work. And I think it, I think it works really well. And I think that the idea of the song is so creative too. this idea that it's the, it, there's this kind of common thread. There's this, this heartbreak on the record. There's this idea of just being so down in the dumps and, just trying to work through it. And this, this is such a great example of that. He's like laying down to sleep and the local memory, the hardest working memory in this town is yeah. coming back to keep him awake. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a fantastic song. It was, this is definitely, I mean, rating this record for me, was pretty, pretty difficult, but wouldn't be an episode without our guest saying that. what you just said, Roger. <laughs> so it's all good. All good. All right. Let's get some scores on this. So Wayne. Uh, 10. I, I just, like I say, it's all the visions of this physical stuff to try to hold back a memory. Uh, it just really captured my, my imagination. Okay. And Roger. Uh, six. Yeah. And I'm matching your six. Leads us to slow down old world. And I'm too blue cry anymore I once I was a fool for the women Now I'm just a fool nothing more So slow down slow down there's no hurry Cause my life Ain't mine Anymore And uh, Roger, get us started with this one Because I think your score Is a little higher than Wayne and mine So so, What is it about this song that uh, you You like so much? I feel like this song Has a similar you know, you're always like fighting these. What the song, what is the song about? What does the song say? What was the intention? Which we have some like really interesting examples on this record with Shotgun Willie. It's like the context of which it's written. If you never knew any of those details, it really wouldn't affect how you hear the song. Um, Slow Down Old World, I think, is just such a, again, it's just such a vibe. It's it almost like, just rolls off of the local memory into this different headspace where you're you're in the same space, but you're kind of just like it's so reflective. I think reflective is the greatest word for this song. It's just I don't know. It's almost as if like like he says he's he's upset. He says he's he's a fool. He's he's driving home this idea that's already been established previously with the songs. Um, but it's almost like 
the chorus is just kind of this reflective, like maybe it's not as important as we think it is, or I don't, I, I don't know. It's hard to say for me, it's just about, it's more of a feeling um, that I think just fits really well. I, again, like the context on the record, I think the whole thing kind of moves in this way that, makes you feel something. And that's why some of these songs that he had released before or other people released before, they just hit so much harder on Shotgun Willie. I think my initial, initially I, I, what struck me is how much it sounds like sad songs and waltzes, which I understand a waltz is going to sound like a waltz. It's going to be some of that, but I actually almost wanted to sing that in the chorus every time it came around. And then I didn't, the, the, there's like orchestral strings that, that pop up in it that gave it this real Patsy Cline feel, which not that that's a terrible thing, but it didn't, it, this, this felt like a throwback to the past, which seemed, you know, to, to kind of contradict what he had done on the record up to this point. Yeah. I think my, my only notes on this is uh, I really dig the steel guitar in this one. Jimmy day. Yeah. The pedal steel guitar on this entire record yeah this really good record. i don't know how much yeah. you know about the about jimmy day but i don't uh, i don't know much it just is such a legend played with everybody played on hank williams songs elvis songs patsy klein songs townsman zant songs i think met willie through uh playing with ray price's band because at one point uh willie was playing in Ray Price's band, and when Willie went solo, he kind of took Jimmy Day with him. Um, but it's interesting. I think the pedal steel is such a such a powerful instrument, and I experience yeah. that when I record because the I've been able to play with a lot of great uh, steel players um, on my record. Gold actually, Casey Musgraves, steel player. Uh, Brent Resnick played on that record. Um, oh, cool. And then I work with a guy in Philly, Mike Brenner. And so many people have hit me up about the songs and been like, but that steel guitar, <laughs> I think there's something about it when it comes to these slower songs It there's like a longing in it. There's, it just, it just kind of ties the whole sound together and it fits with the yeah. words and it, and it just kind of drifts in between everything. But yeah, there's a great steel player that I love named Buddy Emmons. who's also a very famous played with everybody. A lot of the same people. Um, but I think I heard that Buddy Emmons was a big fan of Jimmy day who played on this record, which is like about the highest honor that you could Get Buddy Emmons might be the most famous steel player. There's some like really uh, nerdy country music people. I might get some like hate mail for saying that. But, um, but yeah, yeah, that's just. And when you go, you go back and listen to the previous, um, all those previous songs, and it's just like without that steel, it just would be so different. Yeah. Yeah. This would be a way different song to me if it didn't have the steel. So, yeah. All right. Let's get some scores. So Roger, 
My score. We're we're talking about slow down old world, right? We still yes. Number, yes, we're still I'll put there. Put that in as number five. And then Wayne. Uh, three. And then I've got this as a four. Moves us on to stay all night. Stay a little longer. And this is the first of two Bob Wills pen songs on the record. Um, that is uh, Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys recorded it back in 1945. Reached number three in 1946. And uh, Willie Nelson had a little bit of a hit with this one. So number 22 in 1973. Uh, Mel Tillis also released this. Yeah, song has been recorded a bunch of bunch of times, and this seems like a song that I would hear on Hee Haw, right? Sure, yeah, <laughs> Wayne. <laughs> yeah, it's that was my. This is I get you're from Texas, uh, Bob Wills. Uh, you probably should put a Bob Wills song to kind of anchor that whole feeling. This isn't the one I would choose because this this seems like it's missing that swing that I associate with Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. And it just sounds like something that's played at a, a Grange square dance. Yeah. I liked it. Um, I, my, my score is definitely higher than your guys's, uh, with this, but I, I liked it. Um, and maybe it's the, the, the happier country songs, uh, that I like, uh, a little more. There's no place for that. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, which is, which is why I don't consider myself, you know, a pure country guy. I'm more of a, the alt country guy because we're, we're, we're a little happier than the normal country people. Maybe. I don't know. I think that putting, putting this song on the record is just, just purely context. And I think that it, it does its job really well. I think in one way it's like coming down off of everything that comes before it and that wall, but, lull between uh whiskey river into stay all night stay a little longer to me i think it's a decision that willie nelson made to kind of say i'm doing my own thing but i'm still associated with my roots and yeah he grew up he loved bob wills there's a story about him something ridiculous like when he was like 13 years old he booked a bob wills show um in the town over from his or something. And it was like a pretty, pretty big went off with a bang. And I think that putting the Bob Wills songs on this record, um, one, it serves a great, a great purpose to kind of like lift 
lift you up out, out of that reflective state. It's like sadness into reflection into like, fuck it, let's have fun. And also just kind of like, kind of like what I was saying about uh, working burn one with John Prine into the mix. It's just, I'm sure it was so much fun for them to do live um, in the, in the mix with all these really downer sad songs. But I, I think like, I, I think the only reason I scored it so low was just because I, I love the song and I, I think it's fantastic and I understand it's historical importance. Um, but it's not a Willie song and, and Willie songs on the record are just better and speak to me more. Um, but I think okay. contextually it, it definitely serves a purpose. Got it. All right. Well, I liked it a little more, so I gave it a seven. Wayne, what did you give it? I gave it a two. It's very well done. And I think if, if I had looked at it in the concept of, of this is, this is where everything came from, it's maybe like an origin story. It may have, I don't know that there's a lot of great songs here. I don't know that it would have climbed any terribly higher, but it, it was that square dance rhythm that, that I, I just felt like it didn't fit. Uh, sound wise with the rest of the record if it would have been a waltz it would have done better in your scoring is what you're saying no four four is the way to go um but uh (laughs) it it's just uh, it just it didn't feel like it fit it was too far back (laughs) cool and roger your score three all right let's uh let's flip this record over so here's the uh, first song on Second Side. This is Devil in a Sleeping Bag. Well, just got back from New York City. Chris and Rita done it all. Raw perfection there for all the world to see. The Lord, I heard an angel singing in the Philharmonic Hall. I read a Coolidge, read a Coolidge clip for me. a drag If we could make it home Friday we can ride And the devil shivered It's a good way of kicking off side B, right? I think it, yeah, I think this song have heard that uh, it's about Paul English who is Willie's like long time kind of partner in crime the drummer of the band that also did a lot of like the logistical stuff on the road and i've heard that this is um the devil refers to paul and if you haven't heard it there's a there's another great song that's pretty akin to this called me and paul which is like one of the greatest um tour songs and i think that this song is like such a personal account of what's happening i i heard once uh someone say the day that there's like a quote that someone said country singers used to sing for all of us now they just sing about each other (laughs) and this might be like one of the first (laughs) earlier examples of that um but there's something about the it doesn't doesn't read like some of that stuff did later with the highwaymen and stuff like that. I think that this is just more like 
this is just straight up like no one in Nashville would ever let him record a song where he just says that he's heading home to Austin to Connie and the kids. And he was out and he saw Chris and Rita play. And like, it just like, I mean, at times like you listen to it and you're just kind of like, what, what's the point of this song? But I think it's all about that kind of personality. And, and again, there's like a, there's like a funky quality to it that just kind of makes you kind of feel like, I don't really care what they're singing about. It just feels good. Yeah. And, and you've, you just name drop. So Connie, that's third wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a little research on this. So Willie was involved on the road with Connie while he was married to wife number two. And then once wife number two was divorced, then Connie and a kid that hit that, he had with Connie moved While in. He was still, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and then that of course ended after 15 years of marriage. And, um, that was third divorce in 1988, the Chris and the Rita. So that's Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge, which is also hilarious because he called the, the title track of this record mind farts. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> Correct. He apparently Correct. didn't hold him. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't mind that, though. I don't think. No. No. Uh, this is just a. This is just a great song. This is a great song to kick off a, a second side. And again, it's a. It's a. It's a little happier song. So, which is why I'm. I'm probably giving it a little bit higher score than. No, I guess. Uh, I guess I'm in line with your guys' score. So uh, I give this a ten. Wayne, your score. I gave it an 11. I thought this was kind of, this goes back to the, the first uh, song on the record. It has that, that, that much more of an outlaw sound. It's, and I think this is as good a, the, the, the road is a, is a hard life song as, as, as dead or alive or turn the page or uh, anything. I like, I, I read more into it cause I didn't know <clears throat> about his, uh, the drummer. And so it did, it felt to me like he's describing the road is so it's so tough that the devil doesn't even like it. That it's 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 too rough for him. Um, I thought the homesick. I thought the the pneumonia line. I was I I laughed to myself because I didn't know it sounded almost like maybe the clap or just maybe homesick that he was bringing home to to Connie and the kids. But uh, it just it had a little bit of the humor from Shotgun Willie and definitely a lot of the sound that that was that's more of what he was going to make himself famous. All right. And then Roger, I gave it a four. You guys are making me feel feel like I take it back, <laughs> especially after just talking about it. But that's that's what I like. I when I rated these and sent it sent them to you, I think I said I just tried not to overthink it. So that <laughs> that's where it was. There this it is. is a great song, though. Yeah, they all deserve twelve, in my opinion. And as as we're talking about it, I'm starting to realize that they also embody this whole idea of like it's like with shotgun willie is like fuck it i'm gonna do what what i want to do whiskey river they get into it he gets bummed out he starts reflecting he plays bob will's song and says fuck it let's have fun and then now they're on the road and it's it's just like it embodies so much um and then it just so this is a concept record after all yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) everything's conceptual there it is. <laughs> All right, next song, She's Not For You. And when she grows tired, she knows old 
wait for We'll just take her back again So just leave her here I'm used to feeling blue She's not for you She's not for you Um, not to be confused with the book in the movie She's Not Into You. So this is She's <laughs> Not For You. This is this is one of the songs on the record that is just kind of not super memorable for me. But um, what, do, what do you guys have to say for this song? The steel guitar on this one is just so lush. Really good, I mean, that's, yeah. That's the, the, the highlight for me. I mean, this one, of all the... The much more traditional kind of country song stuff you would have heard, even maybe not so much in '73, but at least like maybe in the '60s. Of all those, I thought this was the best one because um, I definitely agree that some of them, like like uh, "Slow Down, Old World" and and a couple more coming up, ha- they weren't. Yeah, not very memorable is what I would say about them. They kind of all mesh together, but this was to me. I think the steel guitar is is a is the highlight of the song. And this was the the best of those songs for me. Okay. I I feel like this song, like same, I, I, uh, it's definitely lower on the list to me. Uh, just kind of serves to bring us back to this place, um, where we were previously. It's the same kind of idea. She's, she's not for you. She's not for you. And I'm the only one who, who would let her act this way, but she's not for you. It's just a longing. It feels like something, but I feel like when it comes on, I just, I almost kind of drift off into a place where nothing about it is like hitting me. Like you can't make a record if you ain't got nothing to say, or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so many of these lines from I'm drowning in a whiskey river. It's just it, nothing like pulls me out of the song. It's it's just kind of like, all right, we're back. We're back in this place. And life's a drag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of why I've got it a little bit lower. It It's definitely that formulaic, sad country song. And there's really, outside of the steel guitar that you said, Wayne, there's, there's, nothing that really stands out for me on this song. So, so I'm giving this a three and then Wayne, what you got? I gave it a six. I think it's a lot of it. It's about his voice too. He really conveys that. I mean, that time honored country theme of, you know, leave her alone. She's mine. I know she does this to me every time, but, but you know, I love her. I can't help myself. Okay. And then Roger, I got it at a two. All right. Next is Bubbles in My Beer. Tonight in a bar alone I'm sitting Apart from the laughter and the cheer Scenes from the past rise before me 
Watching the bubbles in my beer Visions of someone who loved me Brings a long silent tear to my eye And I know that my life been a failure Watching the bubbles in my beer Another Bob Wilson. Yeah, this is the second of the two Bob Wills tunes. Um, and both songs definitely have that very distinct old-time country feel. Is it safe to say that you can kind of tell which of the songs on this record are Willie songs and which ones are not Willie songs when they come on the record? I feel like this song, uh, when I first heard this song, I thought that it was a Willie song. Okay. I think that it's so it's so laid back, especially the way that he delivers it. Um, Stay all night. I'm just like that. That ain't right. It doesn't doesn't sound sonically the way. It, I mean, I love the delivery of it. I I love the vibe of it. But um, yeah, bubbles in my beer. I I just I love this song. It's it's that kind of Willie Nelson creative um like intricacy on this like detail that is almost like funny i don't know if you're like familiar with songs like hello walls um or even crazy which i heard him Mm -hmm. say a couple times um initially was called stupid (laughs) (laughs) which is just hilarious to imagine but you can like imagine willie sitting there like stupid I'm stupid. Right. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think this kind of like, it's, it's just so hopeless and hilarious. You're just sitting there and just watching the bubbles in your beer. So for people who are enjoying sobriety, what are you watching the bubbles in? <laughs> well, right now it's Topo Chico, actually. That seems to be very popular among the, the 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 sober crowd these days. Well, it's like a yeah, it's a whole thing, especially down in Texas. The way the culture, yeah, I, I love it because um, in Texas, in most bars, you can get a Topo Chico for the same price that you'd get a Lone Star. Um, so it kind of oh, really? alleviates this whole thing of sobriety, where you show up into a bar and uh, I'm speaking this way because i'm also a bartender um and so uh this whole thing where it's kind of like oh this is like you're ordering a seltzer water you must be you must not be drinking or you're not spending money or or whatever but it's uh yeah it kind of because people will like have a tequila have a topo chico have a beer it's like it's just like not a thing um okay but i think that in sobriety everybody Everybody loves a good drink and her bar song because I don't know. Just there's something there's something just so classic and again just like funny about the idea of like this song. It just takes you right into a honky tonk somewhere. You're down in Texas and you're just you're down on your luck and everybody is having fun and he's I think he says laughter and the cheer and. Uh, and all you all you're doing is just sitting there all alone. You're Willie Nelson and you're just watching the bubbles in your beer. Yep. All right. Let's get some scores on bubbles in my beer. Roger, what you got? 
I got it at seven. Wayne? A five. I thought this one, this one made sense uh, as far as putting a Bob Wills song on here. And this has that, that's that Texas swing that I'm, that I, I associate with that. Okay. And, and also 1947, I read something about this is one of the earliest uh, Drown Your Sorrows and Alcohol songs, which is, that's country music 101. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Not matching your five. Leads us to You Look Like the Devil. You've been out working through the night Holding hands and kissing everybody I'm glad to say that you can blow my mind You look like the devil when you're crying I'm so glad you feel so strong that way You got a great big smile for everybody So now we're back on somber country song, right? Oh, I was just going to say... I didn't. I, I I realized it's a. I didn't. Couldn't find a Leon Russell version. I know he wrote the song, but I I broke down the lyrics and it just got creepy. Like some of the lines about how you know, uh, you, you look like a devil in the morning, but I'm you know you smile for everybody else, but I, I make you cry. I just met you yesterday. Um, the working all night uh, and kissing and holding everybody else's hands. It had this whole very creepy abduction thing that. <laughs> Once I, at some point, I think the line uh, "I'm glad to say that you can't blow my mind" is just so desperate. It's like I don't know. To me, it paints the picture of this this idea where you're uh, you've been working through the night. I mean, that's like classic. Like, well, what's the what? What are you doing working through the night? Holding hands and kissing everybody. That that like draws a very whore. Yeah, yeah. Straight, straight, like, what, like I thought it was like a like an actual horn. Yeah, yes. Uh, <laughs> and then kind of just like this idea of like, well, but but then you come home, maybe, uh, and you can't blow my mind, or I don't know. You keep, yeah. It's just I don't know. I think it's interesting that he chose so to pair with the two Bob Wills songs. He chose these two Leon Russell songs too, and it's just kind of like, I mean, I know that they were, they were buddies, and he really respected. I mean, Leon Russell was just such a character at that time, a fantastic songwriter, but just like, just one of a kind, just true, at least presenting as just like a true cosmic freak. And yeah. I think that Willie was really drawn to him because Willie was just like, I think that he looked up to him and probably was like, well, he's doing whatever the fuck he wants to be <laughs> able to do what I want to do. And that's what I'm doing with this. So it, again, it almost like gives this kind of context, but also plays into, um, you know, brings the devil back into the, into the picture, devil in the sleeping bag. I did read somewhere that, um, Paul English may have been an inspiration to Leon Russell, but I'd have mm. to dig deeper to find out if this song is actually about that. But when you uh, listen to it, you know, in connection, it just kind of 
creates this. I mean, then you look at it, you're like, you look like a devil in the morning. You've been working through the night. Then you're just, I mean, maybe the intention was like, that's how Willie feels when he's on the road or maybe. Uh, yeah. holding hands, kissing everybody. And then you go home and you're just a regular person. I, I think you could read into it so many different ways, but I do like the song. Um, it is a little confusing when you, when you really start to dig into it. I couldn't figure out the lyrics exactly what he was trying to get at. And I hate the electric piano in this one. Yeah. I just don't I, like it. I think she's in the trunk. Uh, <laughs> it was, yeah. I was just like, weird. like the whole, the line that made it get weird and made me start listening to it was the, uh, I just met you yesterday. Yeah, like he's so, yeah, he's, new. he knows so much about her and he's so obsessed with her and, and he just met her yesterday. It just, the whole thing just went super creepy all of a sudden. And not that I, that I, I enjoyed it, but I mean, it just was like, this is weird. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe the context was about this. I've heard Willie talk a lot about this. Just this life of planning, staying out all night, working all day, doing all these things. Like maybe, maybe he was trying to wrangle in some sort of more, some sort of deeper poetic connection to it. But in context, I think the only thing I can bring back to is like devil in a sleeping bag, and then you just kind of wonder what was what was Leon Russell writing about. Yeah, right. And what was he wearing? Right. What was he wearing when he was writing it? Because I like to imagine him just dressed really wildly and decadently. The top hat, the cane. Yeah. All right. Let's get some scores on this. So, Roger. Nine. See, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Wayne. I gave it a four, but like I say, I really enjoyed it. I just thought I, I just I loved the creepiness of it. Yeah, and I gave it a two. I just I didn't like the creepiness of it, and I hated the electric piano in it. So, um, all right, second to last song. So much to do. So much to do since you've gone. Too much to do all along Time, time rolls on like a river And oh, there's just so much to do And I just can't do without you And um, I'm just going to throw this out there very cliche country song and uh there is a reason why all three of us gave this our lowest score is because i think it's it's just way too cliche of a country song and my question for you guys is he says my oatmeal tastes just like confetti that's what does the, confetti that, taste like? I've never no, tasted listen, confetti. Listen to this because that's the best. Uh, I in my notes, that's the, this song starts out with that, and it's so that's actually that's great. Number one, paper is terrible. It tastes, but it's little pieces of paper uh. that are thrown at the end of a party. He, it starts out great, and then it goes. But that's the best of it. It's all downhill from there. It's all it, yeah, just like you said. It's formulaic, and none of the lines match up to that first opening. 
of the song. And what exactly is he lamenting about with too much to do? Because he's really just talking about making meals and getting dressed. <laughs> I think it's like you, you can't you you can't do any of that yourself. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's missing her so much. It opens when it opens up, and you hear that first line. I think that I mean, at least my reaction, I think initially was, "What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck is that?" And actually, I read a um, Rolling Stone the uh, like initial Rolling Stone review of the record, and it specifically mentions that line: "My oatmeal tastes like confetti." Um, as this way, I think it's after they talk about him as like the songwriter's songwriter, um, which is also really ironic because this song was released by Willie Nelson initially in 1965, also produced by Chet Atkins. Um, so again, an example of on the record that it was on was called Country Willie, His Own Songs. And if you haven't <laughs> seen the record cover, I'd like... Go go look at the record cover and then think about the context of this I get this song and I think it makes it even even funnier. It's not a bad song, but it's such an example of a song that Willie was doing when the Nashville mach- sound and machine was behind him telling him, this is what you got to do. And I think that part of that is why it ended up on this record because he was just thinking, fuck it, let's try that song again um, and let's do it do it our way. I'm looking at the image right now of Country Willie, his own songs. Yeah, yeah. and now think that's of horrible. The line, think of the line: "My oatmeal tastes just like confetti." Mm-hmm. And look at the way okay. he's looking at you right there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm creeped out. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so yeah, this is this is our lowest score. I won't even ask you guys for the for the scores on this. Um, let's wrap this up. This is last song on the record, so this is a song for you. Don't come together. Just listen to the melody, for my love is in the hiding. And I love you in a place where there's no space or time. I love you for my life You are a friend of mine And when my life is over Remember when we were together Another Leon Russell song. Another Leon Russell song, so the second of two. And just so you guys know, you well, you probably already knew, he did a full record with Leon in 1979 called One for the Road. Great record. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to ask you guys this because this has been covered by everybody and their dog. Um, So it's like me listing everybody who has covered this is like trying to list every single version of Last Christmas because it's like impossible to do. So, uh, but I'll throw out a few. So Ray Charles, the Carpenters, Aretha Franklin, Whitney Houston, Michael Buble, Peebo Bryson, Bon Iver does a cover mashup with Bonnie Raitt's I Can't Make You Love Me. And Wayne, I have to assume that your favorite cover is the David Cassidy version. Is that correct? <laughs> no, no. Too much tambourine, I'm sure. Uh <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I, I only listened to I listened to Leon Russell's original. Um, I preferred Willie's to that, but then I listened to Ray Charles, and he kills it. Yes, that is a really good version. Um, did you listen to Journey's Neil Schoen's guitar version? <laughs> no, I, no, I wouldn't have done that. There's no reason for for me to do that. I I did, and I'm not sure how I feel about and it. And I don't so. even know how that would work because the one of the things about this song, this song gets under your skin. Like initially, upon first listening, was not a fan. Um, but the more you listen to it, the more, like I say, just it's the more it just gets it gets inside you. And I love the space. There's all this open space in it. And I thought it worked better with the guitar than the piano. But it's just this wide open. And I thought as far as to end a record, there is literally no other way. Like this is a great, it almost has a eulogy-like feel to it. Um, perfect, perfect way to close it out. And like I say, as I the more I listened to it, um, the more it just got inside me. And I loved it. Yeah. So many great lines in this song. And I, I think, um, I hope I'm not diving too deep in this, this context of all of it, but that's what happens when I start really listening to something. I, I just think there is an element where it, it kind of ties, it just like puts a bow on everything. Um, just lines like, well, you taught me precious secrets of a truth withholding nothing. It, it's just, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I love this song. Best line for me is I've acted out my love in stages with 10,000 people watching. Yes. Oh my gosh. Which also That's ties into, uh, the phases and stages mm-hmm. record and yeah. I, yeah. That's just, here it is. It's all, yep. it's all, it's all out there and it's, and, it, it, and it, it's it, all it's, raw. It's it's shotgun. It's the record. It's shotgun Willie. Yep. All right. Let's get some scores. Wrap this up. Wayne. A nine. I got an eight. Okay. And I've got an eight as well. All right. Um, so let's uh, let's figure out our our top top five out of this. <laughs> Actually, I I always ask. Uh, did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? But I think I already know the answer to that. Oh, we we did it. We did it up right. Yeah, we 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 pretty much covered this. Yeah, there's more. There's more to. I mean, there's more to dive into when you get into the players and all that stuff. But I think you know Waylon Jennings and Jesse Coulter played a big part in this record, and uh, Doug Sam and his band, which is like you could do a whole mm. other episode just yes. on that, but. I think I think we dug pretty deep into this. We're we're coming up on like two hours. So, you think anybody's still listening? Um, <laughs> you you would be surprised. Yeah. In fact, our uh, our our second most downloaded episode is two and a half hours long. So people want to get to the truth. They want to get yeah. they want to get into the nitty gritty of things. Yeah. So fuck commerce. That's yeah. it. That's truth it. is out there. Uh, any surprises what our number one is? <laughs> no. Shotgun no. Willie. Shotgun Willie. Uh, number two, average score of 9.66. Oh. Sad songs and waltzes. That's number three with the average score of nine. Uh, Whiskey River is our number two. And that's uh, that's based off of, Roger, your, yours and my 11s. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then we've got a, a two-way tie for number four. Any guesses? A song for you? Yep. Um, and local memory? Devil in, a, devil in a Sleeping Bag? Devil in a Sleeping Bag. So Roger couldn't tank that one for us. I feel good. I feel good that that came out on top after what I did to that. I, I regret. <laughs> That's a solid five, though, right? Yeah. Oh yeah this this album, like I say, the the ones the 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 top half, like the top six songs, I just I loved them. Absolutely yeah. loved them. Yeah. I think it's I think it's important to mention too that there's something really unique about that one, two, three. Those first three tracks just take you right into this place. Um, And it sounds like our score reflected that. Absolutely. Yeah. Roger, this has been great. Thank you very much for bringing this, this, uh, this album up. Uh, This is our first of probably going to be very many country records. I know I've got, uh, I've got something in the works of talking with a producer who, uh, produce a lot of country records in the eighties and, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that actually comes to fruition. Um, but, uh, I think we're going to have a, a number of other country records come up in, uh, in the near future. So thanks for bringing that up. I'm happy to introduce it. I'm always happy to talk about country music yeah. and I can't wait to listen to that episode that you're talking about. Cool. <laughs> um, so Roger remind our listeners where they can find all your happenings. Uh, yeah, I, I guess the, the easiest place would be at my website. I know that's like a little old school, but it's xorogerharvey.com. You can find tour dates, all the music, all that shit. And if you search that name on any of the social media networks, I begrudgingly use all those too. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, and I hope you didn't mind that I, uh, I, I, I tweeted your name in, in a reply yesterday. Oh, uh, no. Tweet tweet at me as much as you want. Okay, okay. I mean, there's only so many hours in the day, but um, <laughs> just, yeah, feel free. I, um, I just I just figured, you know, Aaron, Aaron Lee. Oh, yeah, yeah, Aaron, yeah. Aaron Lee put out, he's like, hey, who should I who should I be contacting to, to come on the road with me? And I'm like, dude, I've got like a whole list of people that would be fantastic for you to go on the road with. So I, I actually... Um, I, do, you, I love do you know him? Music. Yeah, I am familiar. And yeah. there's a song of his that I really liked called The Trouble with Drinking, I think it's called. Yes. Such that's, a good tune. That's that's my favorite of his. Um, and no, tweet it, everybody. This is my thing. Okay. All I want to do is uh, be able to continue to play and make music and, and have fun. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I hope that. Who knows? Maybe I'll get a show out of that tweet. Maybe. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, absolutely. So last question, and um, we threw this out to Tom, which is why we're talking to you now. So um, who do you know that I don't know who'd want to join us on our podcast to talk about one of their favorite records? Uh, Have you had Kelsey Walden on the show? No, but her name has come up a few times. We That would be a good one. You know her? She's fantastic, great friend of mine, and the record that she put out and has been traveling on is amazing. Yes. Um, and also, she's and she's on John Prine's label. That's true. Yeah. Uh, 
And also Kaylee Goldsworthy. I don't know her. Cool. She's a friend of mine from Philly. She plays in a bunch of different bands, sometimes plays with me, um, but also writes beautiful songs and plays all over the place on her own as well. Cool. Um, so that would be that would be my recommendation. All right. We'll uh, we'll chat offline. That'd be awesome. Yep. Yeah. All right. So as a reminder, you can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page for Records Revisited Podcasts. You can find all of our old episodes if you go to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. We're on Instagram, instagram.com slash podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Podcast Records. Um, you can see all of my uh, vinyl that I've been listening to lately. Um been tweeting all those things out uh and of course you can find us on all of the major podcast platforms i'm not even going to list all of them because you already know all of them so there you go thanks for having me guys yeah man so thanks for so thanks for listening please go support the arts go to a live show buy a t-shirt of the band buy a record visit a record store and not just on record store day we are records revisit and we are out 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 (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.